Events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the Reconciliation March of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. So hello everyone and welcome to this edition of the UX Australia podcast. We are joined today by Kim Chatterjee from Brisbane in Queensland. Kim, hello. Hello, Steve. It's good to be here and to be back in Australia. Now, so thanks you've, for having me. Our absolute pleasure. You've been in the US. You've been in Chicago. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, I found um, Chicago was uh, sort of home base in between a lot of um, UX gigs that I was doing overseas. So mm -hmm. uh, I, a bit of backstory, I um, packed bags and moved from Sydney in about early 2016. And since then, I've been, you know, the epitome of UX hobo, you know, tax suitcase, visas, um, desperate for Wi-Fi everywhere. And I found myself on projects in Cambodia, in Zambia, um, Mozambique, you know, just wherever they could throw me. I was lucky to work with crews that um, were finding social impact projects over there. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, so it was uh, it was definitely a, a wonderful chapter uh, in my life, and um, Chicago kind of became home base because I have very close friends there, nice. and they're not tired of me gallivanting. So they're like, "You can go and have a gig, but come home to us." So Chicago was home base. That's wonderful. It's a it's a a, a city with an amazing history um, that I've yet to visit. It's um, immersed in old mob stories um every corner you know someone died uh, <laughs> but the food is amazing and the architecture is beautiful and as, if you're in the city center itself every day is stunning also half the year is winter so you got to pick your times yeah so i mean this is one of the things that i you know i, I look at the united states in particular on occasion um and I, I wonder why uh, people live in the northern part of the country and why they don't just, you know, evacuate somewhere else. Um, but, I mean, you know, that's, that's me who is born and, born and raised in, in Sydney um, and sort of first saw snow falling in 2011, um, you know, when I was 40 years of age kind of thing. So my tolerance for cold weather is just not up to places like Chicago. No, absolutely. I only understood it when um, I was lucky enough to be there during spring. And it's like instant amnesia for six months of being cooped up indoors. Um, okay. But indoors is also pretty comfortable, you know, double glazed everything. Mm. Mm. Yeah. They do make it super comfortable to be indoors. It would have to be. Yeah. I see footage of winters in the northern part of, of the United States and it, it blows my mind. Um, I'd be out of there in a heartbeat. I really would be. 
But listen, you're, um, you, you're talking at Design Research. You're going to be talking to us about um, methods of storytelling. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this idea of an empathy walk? What is it? How do we, how do, we do one? Why are they, why are they fun? Uh, there's just so much to um, kind of tell. Have you ever done one yourself, Steve? Well, I, I, I think so. I, I, I think I understand the, the concept, but I'm not sure that I'm using those words and that phrase in the same way that you are. Yeah, so um, the, uh, the concept of an empathy walk was new for me, um, and I'd only been part of one, I think, during a, like a warm-up exercise for facilitators. Okay. Um, and so that was my experience with empathy walks. It was where everybody kind of lines up at, based on criteria that may or may not apply to them, they move forward uh, or they move back. Um, And the end game of that is for everyone to kind of then see through their own experiences where they line up next to everyone else. And um, that was what I thought an empathy walk was. Okay. I realized afterwards um, I got, I was really privileged to be part of a workshop where I got to experience a very different kind and at the heart of it, I'm a copycat and I see a method. I'm like, I want to tell people about it going, you can so apply this to something else. Um, and the method of how I was able to immerse myself in a persona hmm. in such a short period of time and make decisions and live this person's life and end up in a place I did not expect to end up in made me think of all the times when I've presented a persona to a client going, we've done research, our persona is blah, and they get like two slides on, you know, a deck yeah. um, yep. or a really sexy printout or, you know, just, I guess, the the usual, beautiful, but the usual. Mm-hmm. And it made me remember um, when I was being interviewed for um, this crew that I was working with in Cambodia, it's a company called 17 Triggers and they do behavior change. Mm-hmm. And um, they were kind of sussing me out at the time. And there I was, you know, having worked in Australia for a couple of years in UX, you know, government, private clients. I thought I knew my stuff. And the very simple question was, so when you present your findings, do people tend to believe you? And moment of hubris. I'm like, of course, I'm presenting findings that they have paid me to give them, uh-huh. of course they're going to take the findings and move forward with it because that's the professional recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this method came across. I, um, I was able to just kind of break down the process of going, how did they do this to me? How did they show me an experience? Um, and for context, it was um, a woman who was on verge of being homeless in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was a world I didn't understand. I didn't understand how in a city with which had so much resource and so many beautiful facilities and care for their people, you know, they had centers, they had shelters, they had um, legal aid who, mm-hmm. who were the ones running this workshop. Mm. How could someone still end up homeless living in a car in one of the coldest cities I'd ever yeah, been yeah. in? Yeah. Um, how does someone end up like that? Is it mental illness? Is it poor choices you've made in life? You know, is it your network? Um, mm-hmm. And then I was that person. Hmm. And the way they moved us through this exercise was so hard hitting. Hmm. That I thought, how have we not been telling stories like this, um, you know, with this particular method? And it was so simple. All it required was 
taking your research findings and then planning it a little bit to make it really experiential for people to make them move across a room um, and really realize what it was like to be the person making choices in life, which is not often how we tell stories of personas. Mm. And I, I would imagine that depending on that journey, there would be um, potentially a, a sense of frustration building up in that person that they're not making progress or potentially it builds up a sense of the inevitability of winding up in a circumstance yep. through a, a series of small reasonable choices. Yeah, so it comes down to the story that you do want to tell. Um, mm. Where I was able to use the method and employ it um, in a particular project was I was doing research for farmers trying to understand what would make rural farmers who didn't have access to resources until a certain time in the year when their harvest came in. Um, the client was this big insurance company that was city-based. Their clientele was very, um, you know, employed. You had steady yes. income, steady salary, they were mm -hmm. um, And their entire structure was geared towards finding those types of institutions and groups, mm -hmm. clientele. And all of a sudden, there's this one little, little unit in the organization called microinsurance going, we think there's huge potential in farmers who have practically zero income throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So I knew up front that if we were going to do research, we were going to have to, we were going to find whatever we did, package it up as beautifully as we could in as um, an empathetic manner as we could. But the people in the room that we had to convince were the ones who still wore suits, who still drove their cars in the city, mm -hmm. who did not remember what it was like to be in the village. Mm -hmm. um, and for context, this was in rural Zambia. Yeah, okay. So while they still connected... Um, I was talking to the marketing team um, who was looking after big corporate clients, and I was going to have to convince them of the case of the farmer. So I turned them into farmers for 30 minutes. And um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty powerful way to tell the story. So they made me repeat it again at headquarters afterwards to other groups. And it just became a, um, a thing that I, I just have in the back of my mind going, if I can tell a story this way, why wouldn't I? It's a, it's a challenge with research, isn't it, to take stories that we've heard um, experiences that we've witnessed um, and bring them out of the field into typically an office environment with people who are often quite distant from where those stories are taking place um, and find ways to connect them with that with that insight with that with that story such that they'll act Exactly. And that's ultimately what we what we need. We need the, the story to elicit action on behalf of those decision makers so that we can, you know, make things better, improve lives, so that we can get, you know, better better services out into the world for that group of people from their perspective. Um, it's really tough. Yeah. Um, and again, depending on how the story plays out or what the story is that you're trying to tell, Sometimes it's also showing them that the product that they think you're going to inject into these people's lives isn't the right product Yeah. because you kind of make them live with it for a bit mm. as that persona. 
Um, so it does come down to the research and the preparation that you put in into telling the story. But um, if you have those people in a room and you only have their attention for an hour before they have that other meeting that they're going yep. to, they're probably already mentally prepping for. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times they might already come in thinking they know um, your persona. Like they understand this particular group. They've seen the numbers, mm. um, but they haven't lived a day. You know? Yeah. But we, we, we also tend, like with distance, we tend to um, simplify, generalize um, the behaviors and decision-making processes of others. Um, and it, it, it can be extremely impactful when you're in a position where you can highlight that nuance, highlight that diversity, highlight the complexity um, that's going on within a group, that they're not homogenous, that they're distinct and unique and, and diverse within that community um, is, is, a, is a really important nut to crack when we're, we're playing back our research. Yeah, exactly. And more important than being able to remember a persona's name is to remember the decision that person was going to have to make at that particular time and and to understand where that decision was coming from. Yeah. Say they're going to sign up for your product or they're going to use your service or they're going to change this about their life or mm-hmm. do something different. So, you know, their lives are already happening. Um, so yeah. to get them experience it is um it's really powerful i mean it's definitely made a huge impact on me from a 30-minute workshop that i walked into it sounds like a um also like quite a respectful way of playing back those stories um where you're not co-opting them Mm -hmm. you're conveying them and you're helping um you know bring that story into the room as i say not not co-opt it yeah, exactly. That's always the danger of telling someone else's story, isn't it? Um, where you give them, you slap a fake name on them, but you use real photos um, and you say, this is someone representing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you get the ingredients right of what people's lives are, you, you get the steps right, you get the motivations for why they make certain decisions, um, and you can bring that element into the room and make other people make those same decisions because they're now trying to be that person. You know, they've all of a sudden acquired a family, a couple of goats, uh, you know, a deadline, um, a mission to achieve and what decisions will you make? And we all do this when we're playing games. Yeah. um, But we don't do it enough in real life when we're trying to think about other people. We think about small pockets of time. We don't think what their, you know, what the weight is of decisions that they have to make long-term. Um, so at least I wasn't always conscious of it when I was thinking about personas at the time. Well, it's, it's, it's hard to be conscious of that sort of detail um, in other people's lives. So even people that we know well, um, we're often not conscious of those sorts of uh, decisions or the significance of, of decisions that people are taking. Um, and it's also like difficult to recognize the significance of some things um, from the outside, you know. Uh, and, and so we, we need to find ways 
um, in a whole variety of different ways. But we need to find those ways to bring those stories to life in an authentic and, and respectful way. Um, because like a lot of the decisions are being made by people who aren't engaged. But it, it, it reminds me that we where we can really then draw on um, some of the, the, the value and the power of that kind of method is that it highlights to the people who were otherwise going to make decisions that potentially they're not best placed to make those decisions. Um, and it feels like this sort of technique is a really nice point of leverage for more participatory and co-design methods of, of the next, like of the rest of the project. It's like, listen, I'm, I'm going to put you in their shoes for 30 minutes, but really what it's going to do is show you that you don't understand them. Um, anywhere near as much as you thought. And so hopefully that undermines your confidence in making decisions for them subsequently. Um, may, maybe we can get some of them involved in, in the design activities and the prototyping and the testing and, and all the rest of it that subsequently goes on. Absolutely. Um, another byproduct of the, um, the whole activity we found was, it was also a really good way to highlight the work that a small team or unit in the organization was mm. doing with the other units. Mm. Um, kind of didn't understand or appreciate that, or they were projecting their own, um, you know, qualifiers or requirements on a team that was looking at a very different audience or group. And so it was a nice way of showcasing that to say, yes, this person is important. They're not your target audience because you guys sure. work with this filter and that focus, and that's fine. Mm. But that's what this team is doing, and they need your support. So it was a good way of kind of building that team up. Um, when they didn't have that that power in the organization yet, and I, I would imagine that otherwise those you know those small teams that you talk about um, get drowned out in the financial metrics of those bigger teams. You know, we've, we've we've got this team selling microfinance to farmers in uh, you know. Like, what what does that earn us? What are what are we what are we making from that group? You know, why don't we why don't we just cut them? You know, what's the headcount of that team? Can't we just get rid of them? Actually, well, turns out what they're doing is critical to this group. So if you can help shift that decision making and and bring them the the impact of the work and the impact of the service to light, um, then hopefully some of those less humane decision-making practices can be sort of sidelined a little bit along the way. That's right. That's right. And that's almost verbatim, some of the conversations that were happening in the channels there, which is why we decided to take, you know, to copy yeah. that format. So we're so using this because they need to appreciate what's really happening here. And it's different numbers. Um, mm. It's it's not going to be the same, you know, income stream, of course, but the impact is huge. And that also spoke to other values for them. So it, it's uh, just good. Yeah, it, it was a stepping stone to, you know, change conversations within the organization that I think yeah. a PowerPoint presentation would not have done. Yeah, it, it sounds like it, it gives additional opportunity for, um, you know, the, the medium of storytelling um, you know how you're how you're posing each of those steps along the way, whether it's through the use of video or or audio um, or photographs or or whatever it might be, um, beyond what you might otherwise get in a in a report. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because once they went through this activity, we still hit them with all of those. We still hit them with the presentation, the deck, the materials, mm -hmm. the pictures on the wall. But they recognized it afterwards because they'd had that visceral reaction to some of the things that we were throwing at them in the yeah, room. Probably a lot more ready to delve into that kind of detail as well. Yeah. That's wonderful. Kim, no, I, 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 I look forward to hearing a lot more about it at the conference. Um, we're four weeks away as we record this from uh, design research. I'm fascinated to hear uh, and see some of these activities um, brought to life. And you, you are going to be showing us some, I hope. Yes, yes. Um, I am hoping it will be useful. It is from a limited story of experiences, but the point of copycatting is to yeah. you know, see something and then spit it back out to the universe to see if it's useful for somebody else. I think this is going to be a nice, a nice one for people as we as we begin to be able to get out and do field research again. Um, and as we've seen, that can be a a, a difficult proposition um, almost on a week to week basis at the moment. But that's that's something that will will shift eventually. Um, it'd be nice to be able to introduce some some different storytelling techniques subsequently uh, in how we present some of this back. Definitely hope so. Wonderful. Well, look, Kim, thanks for joining us. Um, and we look forward to seeing you at Design Research. Mm -hmm.